Well, again, welcome. Good morning. We're so excited that you're here at One Life Community Church. My name is Greg. I'm one of the co-lead pastors here. And it really is a delight to be able to be with you all this morning. There was a, a moment earlier when we were singing uh, in kind of the earlier part of worship. And I had just been kind of sitting and I was singing a little bit, but I was more kind of listening. And, uh, and we started a song. I don't even remember what song it was. Um, but it was one where, where uh, usually the vocals are really uh, powerful and loud from up front, and for some reason they started much softer. Um, and I could hear everybody. I was sitting back over here, and even from over here, kind of on the outer edge, I could hear like this, it felt like it was all coming into the center, and all of a sudden something in my heart was like, I want to be in that. Uh, and I just stood up and started singing. And so I just, I was thankful, just so thankful to be able to be with you uh, this morning. So thanks for being here. Uh, whether you're here in person or via technology, uh, watching in live stream or later on in the podcast, we are glad that you have joined with us. So thanks for doing that. Um, will you please join me as, as I pray? God, I'm just thankful for this day and for your presence in our lives. I'm thankful that you do bring us together so that we can hear uniquely together what it means to engage with you and to follow you and to just encounter you. Um, and so I pray you be present here. Holy Spirit, you would tune our hearts and quicken our hearts to your movements in our lives and in this space uh, and that we would, as a community, come to know you better. I ask this all in Jesus' name, amen. Um, when my oldest daughter, Gianna, was, I think she was seven or so, um, one of her uh, chores became feeding the dog. Uh, and so, you know, she was responsible to do that. And, and often it needed to be done in the morning. Uh, and uh, sometimes when we're trying to get things going in the morning, I don't know if this is true for anyone else but me, things are not going. Uh, and they're not moving quickly or as quickly as I want them to. And so at some point, I knew I was going to have to ask her to feed the dog Time was ticking, and I just decided, you know what, I'm just going to do it myself. Uh, and Gianna came up to me as I was feeding the dog, and she's like, hey, what are you doing? This is my job. And I said, you know, here's the deal. Uh, we really got to get going, and uh, sometimes when I ask you, it takes a long time, and I just didn't want to be wasting time. And she just interrupted me, and she said, you're wasting our time talking. <laughs> and something in me just there was like just, I had this window and, and I could see it. I was like, I have two options here. <laughs> One is to say, I've only begun to waste your time talking, <laughs> right? We have a lot more to talk about. The other one, which I thankfully in that moment took, it's not always the one I take, but this time it was, I said, you know what? You're right. You're absolutely right. Let's get going. Because I realized she was on board with me at that point. She was like, I want this to end so we can move. I was like, I want this to end so we can move. We both want the same thing. Let's make it happen. And it was this great moment, right? And this is a little tiny example of, uh, you know, uh, what we're going to call like chaotic conversations or critical conversations. And I bring this one up specifically because I remember specifically the moment I had where I could see the choices in front of me and it was this moment I could feel it was gonna pass really quickly and lots of times that's what happens we're gonna explore that some more this series we're, we're, we're 
calling the crux of the matter. And crux is a word that in Latin means cross and in English means the central thing. And so what we're trying to do in all this is keep Jesus at the center. Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection, all of who Jesus is at the center. Now, with that though, we're doing it in the context of how to participate in conversations that are usually over significant topics that are really difficult, people are heavily invested, and there is often deep disagreement. So how do we remain in those? How do we keep Jesus at the center and still be loving and caring in our relationships when we're in these kinds of spaces? And we're doing this partially because in our country right now, the toxicity level is really high. Our country's torn apart. We have a lot of people who at one time would have said they were friends who were no longer speaking, who at one time would have said they're partners and moving towards the same direction, who see the other as the enemy. I've heard people say things like the toxicity level and, and, and the, the level of just animosity in our country has not been this high since the Civil War. Now, I realize in the midst of this that it's not just people arguing and bickering. It's not people trying to figure out what type of sandwich is the best sandwich or, or whatever. These are actually issues of right and wrong, and that makes it even more difficult. And so I want to start with a couple of verses that I just want to kind of have in our hearts and in our minds as, as we're entering into this. The first one is 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3. It says, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. And then 1 John 3.16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. And so that's like the foundation. That's sort of the, the place we start from, that in all these situations, all these conversations, how do we remain in that space where that is what's available to us? How do we respond in those ways? And the, the question that comes to my mind at first, though, is, Oh, but what makes that so hard? What makes this so difficult? And as many of you have suspected for a long time, deep down in your hearts, what you know and I know is that the problem is our elephants. It's elephants, obviously. Look at them. Elephants, they're the problem. No, well, uh, I'm going to be using elephants uh, in a way that is equal to, um, it's going to represent our brains, okay? So elephants equal brain. Now, just, just so keep that in your brain. Um, and when I'm talking brain here, I'm talking uh, sort of primal, mechanical, uh, the way the brain operates. Uh, John Medina he's, Medina, he's a developmental molecular biologist who focuses on how uh, the brain responds to and organizes information, said the brain is constantly trying to answer three questions. Number one, is whatever I'm encountering a threat? Number two, is whatever I'm encountering food? And number three, is whatever I'm encountering a mate? 
And so the brain at some level is always trying to answer those three questions. And then from those three questions, it decides then, we decide how then we can interact with it. Jonathan Haidt, who wrote a book called uh, The Righteous Mind, broke it down into just two questions and said, what we, our brain, our elephant, is always trying to answer is, is this thing going to hurt me or help me? Whatever I'm dealing with, is it going to hurt me or is it going to help me in my goal, which is to survive? And so... That's what the elephant does. That's what our brain does, always working through these kinds of questions. Now, there are certain things in our body, certain mechanical processes that are super powerful that when we encounter things that are going to hurt or help us, that determines how our body responds. If it's a negative thing, something we see as a threat or it's going to hurt us, there's a chemical response that's facilitated to gear our bodies up to either fight or get away. And it's done through, uh, it releases, our body releases adrenaline or epinephrine into our system. And what it does is it allows us to access almost fully, if not fully, our, all of our strength, all of our physical strength. And it's really good. Like in, if we need to get away quickly, that burst of adrenaline sort of allows us to pull all of our capacity together and get out. Or if we need to fight, it allows us to do the same thing. And we hear stories about people of torn, you know, car doors off to save someone and all these kinds of things. Um, now, there is certainly truth to the increase in strength, but there are lots of other things that play into those moments too, that cars have been damaged and things are loose. And so it's not that we become uh, uh, like super strength, we become superhuman, but we often don't use that amount of strength because it also, there's a sort of a fail safe in our system that knows if we were to utilize that strength just whenever we wanted, it would often lead to injury. And if you're like me and you're getting older, you know this, uh, it's just what happens, that the, the, the more strength you use often equals a longer recovery time, uh, injuries, things where it used to be, oh yeah, I went and played football with my friends and I felt great the next day. Now it's like, I went and played football with my friends and I'm thinking about never doing it again because it took me like three weeks to recover, right? So our body knows these things, okay? Now if it's a positive Thing, something that's going to help us, it facilitates a chemical response that feels really good. Um, and this is called a dopamine, uh, and it's a hormone. And Dan Allender, um, and we've talked about this before, says that it's associated with reward and pleasure. And, uh, and he pulled out some interesting statistics that I want to go over with you. We've done this before. Um, but when this device buzzes or vibrates or rings or lets us know something, we get a 10 to 20% spike increase in our dopamine levels because we feel needed, we feel wanted, we feel connected, we feel like oh, something in the world is getting my attention. It thinks that I am worth it. Okay, so I don't know if you've ever seen this. I do it myself. I'm out, put the phone on the table, and every now and then I'm like, oh, maybe. No, okay. I better just check. I know it didn't buzz, but I'm just going to check my email. Oh, everything's pretty much the same. Okay, right? Because we want a little hit. We want a little, a little dopamine in our system because it feels good. Chocolate causes a 60% increase in dopamine levels. Sex causes a 200 to 300% increase in dopamine levels. And meth causes an 800% increase in dopamine levels. So we can see why some of these things are so addictive because they feel good. It causes our body to have a response that feels really good. 
And so we go back to these things, and we go back to these things. And so the elephant is going through life for thousands of years. And this has nothing to do with, with, with evolution. This is hunter-gatherer phase, all this kind of stuff that humanity's been through, right? The elephant's going through these phases, and it's, I need this. I need food. I need to reproduce. I need these things. This is where it's been successful. I'm going to keep going there, keep going there, keep going there. And it's thrived for a long time until at some point, humanity discovers, you know what? Life is going to be better. We're actually going to be more successful. We're going to thrive, and we're going to flourish if we, like, work together. Maybe we should even live in, in groups. And now something else comes into this system because when you're in groups, it's very important to be able to understand and predict and engage with people and discover, so, so why did you do the thing you did? It's helpful to be able to anticipate someone's actions if you're going to be working with them. And it's helpful to understand why we do the things we do. And so this thing called reason enters in. Now, when reason enters in, um, automatically we think that reason is the driver of the elephant, that reason somehow steers the elephant, right? And so we have reason <laughs> steering the elephant, right? And, and, and the reason reason has a flashlight, that's what the thing is above the elephant's head, is because what reason actually does is um, it helps the elephant get what it wants by sort of pointing out where are the obstacles in your path, and now you can avoid those. Okay, so where we think reason is steering the elephant, what reason actually does is it just sort of helps the elephant get what, it's want, get, get what it wants. That's its number one priority. Number two priority is to justify the elephant's actions to justify the elephant getting what it wants. And so reason doesn't actually come before the actions, and if it does, it's because we've imagined the actions and we're working out our justifications ahead of time. And so what reason does is the elephant's like, I want that. Reason says, cool, we need to go this way so we can avoid those difficult things to get there, and then says, good job, you made a great decision. You should have made that decision. That's the appropriate decision in this situation. And so, if the number one job of the elephant is survival, then that means being right equals living and being wrong equals dying. Then reason comes in and is constantly justifying and rationalizing all the decisions that keep us alive. Then that rationalization, that feeling that we're right, becomes a matter of life and death. And I think we've become addicted to it. And if all this is true, then when we're in these high-stakes conversations, these really difficult engagements where we're trying to win and be right and we'll rationalize and justify our behavior regardless of what is actually true, if that's the end of the story, then that's really sad and we should just shut down and go home. Because if all we do in the end is rationalize our every thought, our every action, then there's no way we can ever know the truth. Because if every thought is a rationalization, then that thought is also a rationalization. And it just cycles and cycles, and it doesn't matter what the truth is. Because the truth becomes entirely based on my experience and my responses to that, regardless of what the truth is. 
We have these interesting conversations in our staff meetings sometimes because as some of you know, as the rest of the staff knows, is that I'm very, very fond of cold weather and very, very unfond of warm weather. My experience can tell me that everyone else on the staff is wrong, right? It can, that they don't get it. There's just something wrong with them, right? And I can justify my behavior, right? I can justify, uh, and, and then I can, you know, start to think about them very differently. But that doesn't make any sense because the, there's, no, um, there's no inherently right or wrongness to cold or warm weather, right? And so, but if I allow that to seep into my system, then I can start making it mean something different. But then, so what when we're in these situations? What can change this then? Well, the Sunday school answer, and I believe the correct answer, the right answer, is Jesus. And I want to talk about here, I want to talk about uh, love, the spirit, and imagination. Because on its own, the elephant our survival, our sort of primal uh, instincts. And I, and I want to be clear, I'm not talking about emotions here. Right? I'm talking about this very physical, mechanical response that our body has that has protected us for many, many years right? and then kept us out of danger and allowed us to get to food and all these things. But that there's also this side of it that is very self-centered and very driven uh, to get just the things it wants. Right? So, so there's just that alone. And if we exist that way, right, then we're just on that level and everything is combat. Right? But the elephant with reason, the elephant with the rider on the back on its own, spends all of its time justifying the, the actions of the elephant Again, regardless of truth. And, and the thing that does happen and the thing that is happening right now is I feel like the riders are getting smarter. And what the riders are doing, though, is weaponizing uh, our justifications against other riders we disagree with. Right? So not only does it mean I'm continually saying I'm right and, and, and good job, elephant, and we're moving together in the direction that, that, that you want and everything's good that way. But now I'm saying, and you know what? The people I see over there, those other riders, they've got to be wrong. Right? They're moving in a different direction. Our direction is the right direction, so we've been telling ourselves the whole time. And for them to be moving in a different direction must mean that they're wrong. So now, not only are we saying they're wrong, but our reasons justify that. And then that we use those against people. Thankfully... Not only scripture, but I think science now shows that we can ask some other questions besides, will this hurt me or will this help me? But we can ask another question that is, should this relationship between the elephant and reason exist this way? Is what we're doing good? Is what we're doing right? Is what we're doing bad? Or is what we're doing wrong? And we can take the flashlight, instead of just focusing it out on what's ahead of us, we can actually be introspective. And we can look at ourselves and ask, is this the direction we should be going? We're able to step out of our own wants and our own rationalizing of things and ask, is this good? And it's been proven neurologically that when we do this, we change the neurological structure of the brain by asking these questions. 
instead of knowing just our own rationalizations. Jeff Schwartz wrote a book called Mind and the Brain, and he used this as an argument to say that human beings have the ability to be transcendent because we have the capacity to step out of ourselves and look at a situation in a different way. And the challenge is, is that we're still, the challenge is when we talk about the elephant, we often separate it out. Elephant reason, but elephant, it's part of us. And when it's gratified, we're gratified. And it feels really good. And it's difficult to ask those questions and to follow through like, okay, I know that's what we want, but is that the best thing? Because reason, again, only wants to gratify the elephant. And so is there a way for reason and the elephant to partner together and actually figure out if there's something better to go after? And the elephant's not great at this. It's really good at survival, really good at protection. It tries to serve us, but again, it's also self-centered. What is good to me, what's a threat to me, it's all about me. is we make distinctions between what we think about ourselves and others. We start to feed off those distinctions. Again, at least I'm right and better than that other person. We feed off the judgments. And we love the feeling. We love that feeling of being right. And also, I think at the most primal level, the elephant believes that it can define reality by its desires and wants. I don't know if you've ever uh, heard this, but a cat has uh, in their muscle fibers, they have some of the purest, uh, what we call fast twitch muscle fiber. Lots of us, there's a mix of fast and slow twitch muscle fibers and, and uh, the fast twitch, do exactly what they sound like. They enable that critter or whatever it is to, to move really fast. Uh, slow twitch are often helpful in big, gross motor movements and help with endurance, muscular endurance, and these kinds of things. But a cat can, if they swipe their paw as fast as they can, they can do it so quickly that even if we were watching it, we would kind of see point A, maybe a couple points in between, and then the end point. And our brain says, hmm, that started there, I saw it there, and then it ended there. The thing that makes the most sense is that it went straight like that. Often that's the case. I would love to see a slow-mo video of a cat like doing all kinds of crazy things and making sandwiches or whatever, uh, and our brain just is totally wrong. But this is what often happens is that um, when we are uh, working at this level, we think, okay, so here's my actions. The elephant went this way, so there's got to be a reason that this happened. I'm going to do some imaginary stuff, and now my reason makes sense. Now my, the, thing, the reason I did that, why I did that, and having done that, it all makes sense now. Good job, elephant. And we get kind of stuck there. The reality, though, is if we know about the gospel... One of the things we know about the good news of Jesus, the life of Jesus, is that there's no place in the gospel and the kingdom of God to say that somehow my brokenness is more acceptable than anyone else's. 
I cannot say that my brokenness is less ugly than someone else's brokenness or that that person over there, that's the deal breaker brokenness. Because we're all broken. Creation is broken. And if the gospel means anything, it means that the comparison, the judgments, the evaluations, the accusing voice, all of it's done from the accusing voice, that's all been done away with on the cross. That's why we read things like there is no condemnation in Christ. Because God, who is willing to dive into the brokenness and love us perfectly where we are at, and that's true for every person, that means we can do the same. We can follow him and do the same. And that love transforms us. And so when we feel those triggers kick in, and we've all felt it, that moment where, just as I talked about, I'm in a, in a discussion with my daughter, something stirs, and boom, I'm in this moment. I got two paths I can go down. And you see it, you feel it, and it is a short moment. And it's difficult because it feels really good to let it rip. It feels really good to go into full-on attack mode where I don't have to care about anybody, I don't have to keep up any walls. I can just let loose and let it be and let it fly. But this is where love needs to jump in. And this is my whole issue with, with the, the elephant reason scenario. Is that nowhere in there is talked about love. It's all physical, chemical response and reason that comes in and tries to manipulate through sort of here's the direct lines and here's this. But love comes in and says something really different and says, no, 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 there's something we can do together that's really different. And so Greg Boyd, this pastor from Minnesota, he says those moments, what he's trained himself to do is when those moments arise, he's attached a bunch of existential post-it notes all over those moments, things that say like, you are a new creation in Christ. You are loved by God. You're not given your value by being right or by winning this argument or by destroying the other person. And that that other person is created in the image of God. That love is the last thing to remain. That love was there before creation and is a thread that goes all throughout creation into eternity. And it ties all things together. And so he jots these things down and puts them all over these situations, those moments. And so instead of the moment passing and being like a gate opening that releases a caged animal, he instead can be this fountain of living water that flows, this great gift from God. And it can pour into any situation that he is in. Now, when I read that and I hear about that, I'm like, oh, that sounds so different than a lot of these moments that I've been in. And so I want to talk quickly about some things we can do to help facilitate those moments and how we put up those post-it notes. James, uh, um, one of the authors of a letter in the Bible, says the tongue is a powerful thing. Um, and in, uh, this is James uh, 3, 3 through 12, it says, When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. 
Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. We need to get all of our words from Jesus. We need to spend time with Jesus, engaging with Jesus, being honest with Jesus, and allow his words and his beauty to shape our words. We need to get our whole life from Jesus. Our needs, our wants, our hopes, our dreams, all that we need to be able to engage with Jesus about. Because it's out of our relationship with Christ that we will be transformed. Because we do have this need. We have a need to know that we are loved and that we have value. And that need is going to be met some way. And if it's not by God, it's going to be from somewhere else. And so we set up an idol that fulfills that need. And the most, one of the most typical idols is the one of being right. Just the stuff we've been talking about. And the challenge, I think, for Christians is that it gets even more challenging because we're bringing in eternal salvation. And all of a sudden, eternity has a stake in it. And so now, all eternity hangs on me being right. We end up being saved by rightness. That God is some professor sitting up in heaven. When we get there, he's going to have a big list of questions. And we're going to be given this test. And if we don't pass, we don't get in. And so we feel secure before God if I believe the right things. I look at the, the testimony of Scripture, and I feel, I feel like people, uh, they were just interested in relating to God, right? And, and did you believe the right things? Of course, there's some level of, of we're all trying to, to, to f- discover those things, but their, their salvation wasn't tied on that. I look at the honesty with which people throughout Scripture talk to God and engage with God. If we believe that, that prayer is talking to God, then every time someone talks to Jesus in the Bible, that's prayer. And there are some of the questions that they ask and some of the ways that he responds that are way more raw and honest than a lot of the conversations we could have. So we get stuck. And we have these triggers. And I think the heart and love allow our imagination to be activated. Because what we need to do, and this is a weird exercise, um, is we need to be in a space where I can actually imagine what are some of the moments that have, set, that have been triggers for me that I didn't choose the path that... that uh, I chose a path that was much more combative and not one that was looking towards good, but one that was looking towards me just winning. 
And then I need to go into that. I need to walk through that. And I need to start imagining, how could it be different? How could I have responded differently? And I need to start putting up those post-it notes. And if I do that, then when those triggers come up again, I will see those. And I'll have a moment to make a different decision. Because if we're obsessed with being right, we can't be focused on the truth because I can't afford to be wrong. So we need to dig into our imagination. Can love set our imagination? Can love wake it up? Can love stir it to where we can enter into those spaces that are so hard and believe for something better? Can we make loving the person we're engaged with a higher value than winning or of anything else? In Colossians 3, 12 through 14, it says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Above all, Clothe yourselves with love. Even if you're going about the process of trying to convince somebody of something, trying to persuade somebody of something, that's all over Scripture too. There's nothing in this that says trying to convince somebody of something or trying to persuade somebody of something is wrong or evil. But can we do it in a way that invites the person both in our words, but also our actions and our posture that invites them into something different. And it takes practice. Practice, practice, practice. Last week we talked about finding the story that God has in us. That God has authored in creating you. And this is a process to help with that. It actually helps that story out in ways that will allow us to receive people differently. Because when we do this, we can hear the cries of the hurting instead of trying to prove them wrong. We can walk with those in need instead of trying to win an argument. We can be open to the reality that we are wrong. One of my favorite verses has become the verse that says, you know, we can do all things they're all things are possible through Christ. Um, but we typically use that when we're trying to get something to go our way. We say, yeah, all things are possible. And I've started when I use that to say, even the one that you're wrong, Greg, even that possibility that you might not get this, that could be true also. If you're going to say all things are possible, then you being wrong has to be on that list too. And it should actually be pretty high on that list. Okay? I'm not trying to get rid of the elephant. I'm not trying to get rid of emotions. I'm not trying to get rid of reason. I'm saying that love, imagination can bind those two together in a way that helps us keep Christ at the center, that helps us see those post-it notes as we get triggered, as we feel that response that we want to let into somebody, that we can see some different options, that we can respond differently, and I think actually bring about change. So I have a couple of questions I want us to think about. Worship team and prayer team, if you could come up, that would be fantastic.
Um, in a moment, I'm going to pray after we've gone through these questions, and then after that, the worship team is going to we're going to play and give you a moment to respond to these questions. You can write these down, your answers on the connection cards, and if you put them in the wood boxes, that'd be fantastic. It's a great way for us to know how you're engaging with what we're talking about. Um, and we'll leave the slide up uh, through until the worship team starts singing, and then you'll have a little bit of time to, to look at those. You can take pictures of it with your phone uh, if you want to. Uh, the first question is, how do you respond to chaotic conversations? Right, and you might go, oh, I respond all kinds of different ways. Fantastic, put that down, right? How do you respond to chaotic conversations? Some of us might say, I try to avoid them at all costs. Right? Some of us might say, I run towards them, right? But how do you typically, when you think about these, how do you respond? Number two, think of some moments where you've recently focused more on being right than loving the person you were in the conversation with. Are you able to imagine what it would be like to respond in ways that communicate love above all else? This is that... You know, this is that process we were just talking about. Can you enter into that uh, about some of those situations? And lastly, have you experienced the love of God in your life at any time? And if so, what have you found helpful to remember and embody that reality? Is this something that is available to you in the midst of chaotic conversations? If not, is there a way you could help it be available to you? Um, with this one, I want to give a quick illustration um, I was talking with a good friend of mine, Chad Ross Schiller over here, who I didn't talk to ahead of time, but this is a good thing, so hopefully he'll be happy. Um, and I was talking to him about a difficult meeting I had been in, and I felt like I was meeting with some people who, uh, you know, they had been big influences in my life, and, and we were disagreeing, and I felt instantly kind of shut down, and like, and I was feeling held back and all this stuff. And, and Chad said, yeah, you know, one of the things that I do is I have written down on this note card a couple of key principles that I will not uh, I will not violate no matter what. And I was like, oh, that would have been really helpful. And so I started doing that. I'd write down a couple of things, right? And, you know, it'd be things like, if we talk negatively about anyone who is not here, I refuse to participate in that conversation. In the sense that, um, you know, we're going to uh, say bad things about this person and they don't know anything about it. Uh, and it felt like gossip to me. And so I was like, I don't want to be involved in that. That's unhealthy. If we're going to make decisions about someone's life, they need to be involved in the conversation, right? And that was, so that was like one of the key ones. And I remember I would write it down on my notes that I was taking up in the upper corner. And if I needed to, I'd just look at it and go, oh, yeah, that's, you know, so maybe there's something like that that you can do. And it's, it's that same idea. It's a post-it note somewhere that in the moments where it gets difficult, it tells me there's a different option. Um, and so what kinds of things might be available to you to, to make those things work? So let me pray, and then we'll, uh, we'll have that moment of reflection, and then the band will start singing. We'll have a closing song. God, I give you great thanks that you have created us, God, to be people who feel, people who respond, people who think, people who love, people who act, people who rest, people who are alive. And in all these things, God, there's this challenge of how do we do this well? How do we do this in a way that helps life to flourish, that helps creation to flourish, that helps all of us to flourish and thrive? God, I pray, I ask you to help us to remember who we are in those key moments where 
we feel ourselves click. We feel ourselves moving into a space where, you know what, I'm about to unleash on somebody. And I pray that when we communicate what we need to communicate, because often it is a matter of right and wrong. It's a matter of bringing help to someone. It's a matter of bringing healing to someone. It's a matter of us being put on a new path where we've been incorrect. I pray we would have the courage to act in those ways. We would have the courage to follow. We would have the courage, even if we get angry, to be loving. God, I pray we would have the courage to, to allow someone else to be angry at us. That we wouldn't say to someone, you know what, your anger's inappropriate. But we would let someone express an emotion that matches what they're dealing with. And we would be a place, a safe place where they could do that and not experience shame, not be shut down, and certainly not be told, you're just wrong. But there would be real relationship, real conversation that could happen. And I believe, God, with all my heart that real transformation can come out of that because it's centered on you and your beauty. God, and I believe you're doing this in lots of places and lots of people around the world. I, I pray that your church can get on board and be part of that. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.